We're, we're going to be in Luke 13. Luke 13, 1 through 5. 1 through 5. And i got to admit, when I read this a few weeks ago, I thought, wow, that's, that's short. That's not much there. <laughs> you ever said that about the Scripture before? This thing has got so much more in it than I have, I have not seen. I've been studying the Bible for many years. And I got so much out of this, I wanted to share it with you today. I'm sure y'all didn't hear about the young preacher that went to the pulpit committee for an examination to be pastor of the church. Did anybody hear about that? He, uh, he went before the pulpit committee and the chairman of deacons asked him a question. He said, what part of the Bible do you know the best? And the young preacher said, well, I know most of the Bible. He said, well, tell us a story about the prodigal son. And so the young man started to tell the story about the prodigal son. And I want you to fact check, fact check the, prodigal, the, the story the young preacher shared. He said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and he fell upon stony ground, and the thorns choked him half to death. He asked, What shall I do? I will arise and go to my father's house. So he arose and climbed a sycamore tree. The next morning, Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by and carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of him. But as they was going through the eastern gate of the ark, into the ark, his hair got caught in a limb, and he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he hungered. And the ravens came and fed him. The next day, the three wise men came and carried him down to a boat dock, and he called a ship to Nineveh. And when he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. He said, chunk her down, boys, chunk her down. And they said, how many times shall we chunk her down till seven times seven and he said nay but 70 times seven and they chunked her down 490 times and she burst asunder in the midst of them and it took 12 baskets to pick up all the pieces and whose wife shall she be in the resurrection the committee chairman the deacon said boys I hate to interrupt him right there but I know he's young but he sure knows his Bible we need to hire him. I thought y'all would enjoy that. I, I really, that, uh, that story came to me as I was studying in Second Kings a few weeks ago. And I kept reading there and I was getting confused on who was married to what and who was the king of this and who was the king of that. So that old story came to me. I want you to look with me at Luke 13 today, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read the text, and maybe you'll be like me, and you'll fall for two verses and think that's the, that's the, the, the point, and it's not. It really is, but there's so much more. There were present at that season some that told him the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said them unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above 
all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think you that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You may be like me. I, for all these years, I've been hung on verse 3 and verse 5. Nay, repent or perish, right? That so simplifies this far beyond what it really is. As I said, when I first read it, I missed the main thing. And so I really got into it in the last couple of weeks. And uh, we have to put ourselves into the setting to really pick up what's going on. If you just read the words of Jesus, sometimes you miss the point. And we might think the point is that you need to repent, which it is. But there's so much more going on here. Now, his answer really was a compassionate and appropriate answer if you really read everything he says. These Jews had a theology, and their theology, the Jews had this, and Christians have adapted, the Pharisaical Christian has adopted this same theology. But the Jews had in their theology that uh, they were superior to other people. And Christians have that problem sometimes. And they were people of the covenant, and in that development of their theology, they had figured them out to be God's favorites. For God so loved the world, though, right? And we need to resist this ideal of thinking that we are the favorites. And I think that's why much of the stuff is going on today because God is disciplining his people. Now, they thought the closer they were to Jerusalem, the closer you were to God. Now, it is commanded of the Jews to go home. And the more spiritual you are, the more God's favorite you are. And so they thought, that the Samaritans, for example, you know this from me preaching on Second Kings, they thought the Samaritans were sinners, and they were in many ways, and they did many things that they shouldn't do up in Samaria. They had issues that they could base that belief on. Now listen to me. You can find evidence to believe anything you want to believe about yourself or about other people. Be careful. Now, below the Samaritans was the northern part of Israel, and there were the Galileans. And I really got to see this in January last year. We went and we went, we entered northern Israel in the Galilean section. Now, the Pharisees of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem dwellers, they thought the uh, Galilean Jews were not observing the law as closely as they thought they should. So they were judging them. You've got to be careful when you judge people for judging because you're judging them for judging, right? <laughs> now, the Galileans did not get the details of the Jewish observance correctly. So they called them liberals, and we are the conservatives. The Pharisees would jot every I, cross every T, and they were more spiritual because of that. You got the drift? Christians 
have the tendency to develop the same philosophy. I am more close to what God wants me to be than you are because I do this, I observe this, and I observe that. And we know that's true. Now, you got to remember, I have been a recovering fundamentalist for 25 years. And uh, so I, I've been on my journey. They, they've said about me, he still preaches good, but, you know, things like that. Now let's read the text with that introduction. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the Galilean sacrifices. Now the Galileans, there had been trouble between Pilate and the Galileans. We don't know that this is the occasion, but we do know from Josephus and other places that he had had problems with the Galileans and he did some things, he murdered some people, but we don't know all the details. Now, Pilate had taken, according to this account, the blood of some of those Galilean Jews and mingled their blood with their sacrifice. Wow. Now, this guy was cruel, right? Mean. Now, these people here in Jerusalem believe that these people had suffered that hideous death because they were sinners. You follow me? Are you with me? You still with me? Have I lost you? How many's with me? Raise your hand. How many's in a daze? Raise your hand. Be honest. So, verse 2, Jesus says, And Jesus answered, answering, said unto them, Suppose ye, what's he saying? You believe. Right? Jesus said, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? You see there? See the point? Say amen, it goes faster. <laughs> now, it is true that sometimes a person dies a hideous death because of something they are involved in. That's true, right? That's called anecdotal evidence when you pick out one occurrence and say that's proof. That's not proof of a reality. Can you say amen there? I'm trying to get our philosophy corrected. But it's not true that people who die, die terrible deaths because of anything that they have done. Many people die horrible deaths that have not done anything that would merit that death. And we can accredit that back to the original sin, can't we? That's what brought it in. So you know what? There we are. I mean, does that not kill a conversation once every month or so if we do believe this? Oh, oh yeah, they really are. No, yeah, that was a terrible thing. Uh, but you know the way they were living. And then we can pull an anecdotal piece of, you know, out and say, well, here's proof. One illustration is not proof. Research. And so a judgmental attitude is in this time, in the chapter, isn't it? They're judging these Galileans and saying the reason they died that hideous death, it's you know, it's not all Pilate's fault. It was partly their fault because of the way they were living. And I would not dare live like those Galileans. You see it? That's human nature. You say, I don't do that. You do it. We all do it. 
We do it to different degrees, and the only thing that keeps us from doing it is our preacher reminding us that we shouldn't do it. Right? Our response needs to always be with compassion. True. Our response should not be ever be, I know why that happened. Because we don't know why things happen. There's a lot of things that God doesn't share the information with us, and nobody has shared with us that he didn't share it with us. And we think that we know. Now, when we hear of a catastrophic event, a calamity, uh, we can go directly to uh, thinking those things, but we should go directly to the pain and suffering and the death that people are experiencing and pray for them and have compassion for them and love them with the love of Jesus. And you'll say, you'll pull an anecdotal example out, well, Jesus was hard about this. That's not proof. The heart of, do we not know the heart of Jesus? The heart of Jesus is love. He suffers pain with those that are suffering pain. He suffers death when people are... You know, I've heard this stupid illustration from uh, uh, John 11 that when Jesus wept, he, le- he wept because of the lack of their faith. That is such a piece of bull crap. And I didn't miss the words I meant to use. Jesus had compassion and cried because he loved Mary and Martha and their brother. He's a loving Jesus. You know, if you give any of those lesser assignments to what you think the Bible is teaching and miss the greater assignment of what the Bible is teaching, you have misinterpreted the Scripture. Our loving Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross and died for the sin of the world. He died for the worst of sinners in the world. Did these people die the way they died because they were bad sinners? And the answer is no. Now, the word sinners there in verse 2 is harmonology, which is they missed the mark. <laughs> this is a, there's a point to this. They missed the mark. So Jesus said, did they die that terrible death because they just they missed the mark? Then he says... In verse 2, supposing ye that the Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things, I tell you, no. Do you get the answer? See, it's not just about repentance. I tell you, no. No, they did not. But I will tell you this, Jesus says, except you repent, you will likewise perish. He didn't say you're going to be mingled with the blood of some uh, sacrifice. He said you're going to die and you're going to stand before God and give an account to God and you've got your own fish to fry. Quit worrying about everybody else's. Come on now. Now, but that's not it. That's not all of it. That's not all of it. He said no to that. So then he tells them another story in verse 4. Look at it. Of those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? Oh, Jesus, I love it the way you appropriate. You are so appropriate. He puts it right in their face. He says, oh, so there was a tower by the pool of Siloam, and that pool was fed by Hezekiah's tunnel water Debbie and I know that we've been there we've been to that pool he said those people in Jerusalem they're Jerusalem dwellers that tower fell on those people 
Suppose ye that they were sinners above all other Jerusalem dwellers? So he's reasoning with them, isn't he? He is telling you are a judgmental group of idiots. If I could use my own language. And in this term, in the place of Jerusalem, about 18 people that die, he says, he uses the word sinners there, that means they were big sinners. I love it. I love what he does. To that pharisaical attitude. He says, you're nothing but hypocrites. So the two tragedies, one caused by an evil ruler, and one in Jerusalem caused by natural sources, natural causes, right? Just something that happens. Somebody's building a tire and it falls. Jesus says, what about these Jerusalem dwellers? And he uses that word, stronger word. So Jesus gave these examples, and what he's doing is attacking them for thinking that they know what happens. And what we need to learn is that we don't know. We don't even know why we are going through what we're going through, much less knowing why some other person is going through something, right? Now what does he teach us? He's, he's teaching us that these people closer to Jerusalem are just people, and people sin, we all sin, and sin is sin, and you can't make those type of judgment of this happen as a punishment because of whatever. Both groups, Jesus gave them for an example. And then he says again in verse 5, same words, I tell you, no, they did not die, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. The common thing is we don't die the same way, but we all die. Amen. We're going to stand before God one day. Do we look at these things and say why? And does it make us feel better about ourselves? We have... Uh, an absurd ideal that God kills people because of certain sin. Death is in place in life. We don't know when it's going to occur. And we can hasten its coming or we can delay its coming by the choices we make. <laughs> and that's a sad truth. It's just an absolute truth. So, folks, if God killed people because of their behavior, I would be speaking to the empty room today, but I wouldn't even be here speaking. Got it? I'm going to say it again. Folks, if God killed people for their bad behavior, that room would be empty of anyone for me to speak to, and I would not be here able to speak. So, folks, let's get out of the judging people for sin issues. Let's get off of saying this is worse than this. And you know what the worst sin is? It's your sin. It's my sin. Amen. I tell you, no, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's one of the problems. You remember, now listen, I remember when cancel culture came to America. Back in the 80s, we canceled, we Christians canceled Procter & Gamble over some issue they were having in their advertising. And you know what? That thing has come back and is biting us to death today. 
Most of you don't even follow me on that. If you can miss that, more power to you. Cancer culture is killing us. Pointing out other people's sin and, and appropriate, uh, inappropriately assigning judgment for them. Now what does it say to us then? What does verse 3 and 5 say to us? Except. Did you see the word except? I said, I tell you no, but except. Except what? Except I repent. Repentance should be a way of life for a Christian. When we get saved, repentance is turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer trying to get to heaven without Him. It's no longer trying to be good enough to get to heaven. It's turning to Him, admitting that I'm a sinner, and accepting Him as my Lord and Savior. Except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. So repentance is a way of life for the Christian. It's a, it's a change of mind about God. It's a change of mind about sin. We don't redefine sin. We don't make excuses. We confess it to God. It is sin. And we worry about our sin more than we do everybody else's. Is it time we hear this sermon again? That we worry about our sin and not the sin of everybody else. As a Christian, we believe on the Son of God as our Savior and we begin a life of repentance, which is a, a life of judging ourselves for judging others and judging our behavior rather than others' behavior so that we can be right with the Lord and live for Jesus. Repentance is seriously a change of behavior not from the outside in, but a change of behavior from the inside out. Roman Paul in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it's talking about when we got saved, begin, God began to work in our hearts and that salvation works out. You don't save somebody. You don't work it in he begins inside and he works it out. Let me tell you something. New, New Salem Baptist Church is a place that welcomes sinners. Amen. We sometimes put it on the sign, don't we? We welcome sinners. Why? Because our preacher is the chiefest of sinners. Not because of any particular thing that he's done, but that everything that he has done has been tainted by his self problem amen now notice what else he says except ye repent who you will all you will all likewise just as they died mingled blood with the sacrifices a tire fell on them just like they died in the sense that they died you will all likewise perish and if you go to death the way you were born you're going to go to eternity separated from God likewise you will perish I like what Jesus said in John 3 if you believe on me he said you will not perish I'm going to live forever because he lives forever my faith is in him I have no faith in myself you know, I don't know what I'm going to do next week. Oh, I'll never do that. I hope I don't. Anybody else sinners out there who want to say, 
Count me in. Because the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 3, 10, there is none righteous. No, not one. God didn't save us so that we could be perfect. Because you can't be perfect. He saved us because we cannot overcome the fact that we're sinners. And he saved us through the death of a son of God, the son of God on the cross at Calvary to impute his righteousness into us and take our sins upon himself. Paul says in Corinthians 5.21, you, he said, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Right? God saved us so that we can point others to the, what we met, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what we found, salvation in him. God didn't save us for us to live a life of perfection, judging other people and saying, well, that old guy, he's done this or they're doing that. Uh, we, we need to get off that. We need to get off that trick. And we need to offer forgiveness of sin to people, no matter who they are or what they've done, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Listen, it's not our goal to judge people. It's our goal. It's our challenge. It's our responsibility to love people and to come into Christ. Now he said, you will likewise, amen to that, amen. He said, you will likewise, verse 5, we will perish like other people perish, like the Galileans, like the people in Jerusalem, like all the Muslims, like all the rich in Washington, like all the poor around the world, like Joe Biden, like Donald Trump. Unless we get saved, we will perish. And if they don't get saved, they will perish and spend eternity separated from God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that we have an appointment with death. It is appointed that a man wants to die and after this the judge. Perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him what? Should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize that John 3.16 is not an absolute you shall be saved? It doesn't say you shall be saved. It's an offer. John 3.16 is an offer. You say, preacher, I believe in God. That's good, but that's not enough. The question is, do you believe God? We're studying that in, in, uh, in Genesis on Wednesday night. You believe in God, but do you believe God? Okay, for God so loved the world that he gave, it's a proposal. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, believe in God, what? Should, should, should not perish. Believing in God, believing in Jesus don't mean you're not going to go to hell. You can go to hell believing in Jesus. Atheists believe in Jesus. Many of them. But they don't believe in Him as the Savior. Should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is a simple proposal from God to the whole world and says this, you believe in God? Jesus said, believe in me. He said, and believe me 
that without me you're going to die and spend eternity separated from God. But if you will trust me, Jesus teaches us over and over again, you will be saved and spend eternity in heaven. There's a lot of people in different religions. I'm talking about religions other than salvation that are good people. They're good people. Christians aren't necessarily the best people in the world. I know some that I would not recommend at all. There's good people in all religions. They're good Baptist people. Good Baptist people that are going to hell. They're good. There's a difference. To be saved, you have to realize you're not good. No, not one of us. And we have to come to trust Jesus. His blood was shed for our sins. That we could be saved. We put our faith in him that he died for us. And we could be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Calling on the name of the Lord. It's believing God. That God made a proposal of salvation for us. And it's putting our faith in him and trusting him. It's, it's us accepting that proposal. Saying, I will take Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. So I tell you, folks, we need to not worry about everybody else's sin and we need to love them to Jesus. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus said that to the good people that he was speaking to. and said, hey, Quit worrying about how other people die and even how other people live and you make sure you're saved. Is that not good? It's not a good word for us to remind us not to be religious. Being religious is not the Christian thing. It's, it's knowing the Savior. It's loving people to Christ and pointing them to the Savior. Let's bow our heads and quietly stand. We're going to give an invitation. Might be some of us need to get on the altar today and say, Lord, forgive me. I have ceased to be a follower and become a judge. Might need to go to the altar over that. Might need to go that you ask the Lord to give you a more compassionate heart for those that are lost. Also, I'm sure there's some here today that's truly not a Christian. You have the religion down of Christianity, but you've yet to trust Christ that he died for you on that cross for your sins that you could be saved. As our musicians play, our heads are bowed. I want to open an invitation for you to come to the altar of any, any need that you might have. Anyone else? Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? Let's sing it out. Let's all sing it out. Just as I am without
One more verse. One more verse. Just as, just as I am, waiting not. Would you come and give your life to Christ today? Would you trust Jesus as your Savior today? Let's have our ushers come receive a morning offering.